The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning. First thing I want to say is this. There are people amongst us as part of our body that have lost loved ones recently. As we've been reminded this morning, Monty... There are those that are suffering illness and challenges of all kind. As Jamie put it, it's the dark night of the soul. That's what they're experiencing. So if you're in the midst of that, the peace of Christ be upon you. And if life is going pretty well for you, If it is, I have no doubt that it's very, very busy. It's that time of year, right? And so if life is going pretty well and it's really busy, then I want to say to you this morning, the peace of Christ be upon you. May Christ's peace dwell in your hearts and in your lives richly this morning. I want to remind you also that this evening, we're going to be doing our family gathering. It'll be here. It'll be from 5 to 6 p.m. Child care will be provided We just want to talk about 2018, what has been, a little recap of remind us what's been going on, what God has been doing amongst us. And we also want to talk about plans and and dreams and visions for 2019. We'll also have a time of question and answer. So if you guys could, if everyone, I know it's a busy time, but if everyone could join us, and we can reflect on all that God has done this past year, what God may be doing amongst us next year, and then come with your questions, right? So be here tonight from five to six right here in the worship center. We're in Luke, the spirit-powered gospel. And this morning, the story that only happens in Luke that we all know so well comes from Luke chapter 19. So if you'll read with me the word of the Lord. So Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was the chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be with a guest, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man did not come to, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for your word, for 
or in some strange way, it is our life. We believe that to be true. And when we hear it and obey it, we know it to be true. So today, once again, we pray for ears to hear. We pray for hearts and wills and bodies to obey and to follow. And God, I pray for the gift of preaching. In the name of Jesus, amen. So since I'm in my 40s, those of you over 40, I've been more concerned about my health. I've been more concerned recently about how I'm eating, what I'm eating, and uh, for good reason, for just health reasons, maybe occasionally to lose a pound or two in the places that didn't used to look like that, they look now. Don't worry, kids, you'll know one day. And for unseed health reasons, like cholesterol and high blood pressure. But I figured out a few months ago, I started thinking and looking at different diets just to change my eating habits. And I figured out diets, while they'll help me lose a few pounds or they may do something temporarily, truth health is not about diets. It's about eating healthy. And it's really hard to eat healthy in America. Amen? I mean, if I'm going to get an amen, right? I know sometimes, you know, the preaching needs to be better, but if I can get an amen, it's hard to eat healthy in America. Amen? All right, thank you, at least. At least we can amen that. Our society does not lend itself to eating healthy. But I know I should eat healthy. You know you should eat healthy. But being healthy is not about knowing what health looks like, is it? It's not about just believing my doctor when he says, here's how you should eat. I go, yep, I believe that. It's not about believing in my doctor. That doesn't make me healthy. Oh, if we only wish it did. By simply believing, I believe you, doctor. I believe that eating my fruits and vegetables will make me healthy. If only that made me healthy. But being healthy is actually about changing my lifestyle. Changing the way I eat. It's about changing the way I live so that I am healthy, so that I might live a healthy life. I can't just believe it. Something's got to change. The story of Zacchaeus is only found in the Gospel of Luke. It's hard to believe, right? Because we know this story so well, it is probably one of the most famous stories in Sunday school. We all know this story from, if you're old enough, flannel boards, right, to the story being captured in maybe one of the most popular songs for children. You know it, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. 
He climbed up in the sycamore tree, a Savior for to see. And as the Savior came walking by, he looked up in the tree, and he said, For we're going to your house today, for we're going to your house today. And all the kids finally said, now finally he's saying something I understand. <laughs> Children can identify with Zacchaeus. They often find themselves at the back of the crowd and they can't see what's going on. And it's not just children that connect with the story. The story we read earlier that James read is a story about a, a blind man. A blind man wants to see Jesus too. He's like Zacchaeus. They're not just random stories. There's a reason why as Jesus approaches Jericho, a blind man comes wanting to see Jesus. And then as he enters Jericho, Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. It's not a coincidence. And so Zacchaeus seeks to see this guy named Jesus, to see this prophet. prophet. And I'm sure he's heard about all the rumors. And when Jesus comes and he approaches town, I'm sure there is a buzz. There is a following. There are many people following him. So it's not that, it's not that Zacchaeus just all of a sudden randomly appears I imagine he hears through the neighborhood gossip, hey, that guy Jesus we've been talking about, he's coming to town. And so Zacchaeus goes to the main road. And he wants to see Jesus. But when he got there, he couldn't see like the children. He's a wee little man. And he couldn't see over the crowd. He wants to see Jesus so bad and just see what this guy looks like that he's heard about. He wants to see so bad that he runs ahead of the crowd. He runs ahead to the place he knows Jesus is probably going to pass, and he finds a sycamore tree. And he climbs up in that tree to get a look at Jesus. And as Jesus passed by the tree, he stops, and he looks up in the tree, and Jesus and, Zach and, and, and Zacchaeus' eyes meet. That had to be something like something out of a movie. If you can imagine. You know the scene where the camera gets up close, really close of the gaze of Jesus, and all you see is his eyes. And then we zoom into Zacchaeus' eyes. And as they get as big as saucers, because now this guy named Jesus, who everyone is staring at, is now staring at him. And then everything turns to slow motion in the movie with music to increase the dramatic effect. I mean, you can imagine that, right? And Jesus, he saw straight through Zacchaeus. He sees straight through the layers of corruption and greed, of callous contempt for his neighbors and his indifference to the needs of his community. Jesus has met enough tax collectors already to know exactly what Zacchaeus' life looks like. 
And how even though he couldn't resist the chance to make more money for himself than he should, there was a sickness that was at the heart of his life. And Jesus knew he was the remedy for it. And so, what's ironic is this. There's lots of irony in this story. But what's ironic is this. Is that Zacchaeus leaves his house, we suppose, and goes to this main street, and he is seeking Jesus. And he gets there, and he can't see over the crowds, so this is how much he is seeking Jesus, that he runs ahead and climbs up in a tree to get a sight of Jesus. And what's ironic is that this story, we think it's about Zacchaeus seeking Jesus, but what's ironic is that Jesus walks into Jericho seeking Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus climbed a tree seeking Jesus. And Jesus walked through Jericho seeking to save the lost. For at the end, he says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's what Jesus says at the end of the story. Jesus walked through Jericho seeking to save the lost in Zacchaeus' life. A life built on a certain way of living in relationship to his wealth. It was a lost life. That's what this story is saying. Zacchaeus, who lived a life in a certain relationship to his wealth. And this was a lost life. So when Jesus comes to seek and save the lost, Jesus is seeking to save Zacchaeus. This story, also Luke does something here which is very interesting. If you're looking at the entire gospel of Luke, there's some bigger picture that's happening, not just with this story, but in this whole section. For the word that they used to describe, that Luke used to describe Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, Jesus knows exactly what that means. And we've talked enough about what it means to be a tax collector and how everybody hated tax collectors. And for good reason, we don't need to go over that all over again. But he's not just a tax collector. He's the chief tax collector. And the word that's used for chief is actually shares the same root word with another character that just happens in the chapter before. Right before the story that Jema read, is the story of the rich young ruler. And actually, those two words, chief and ruler, they share the same root word. This is not a coincidence for Luke. Luke intends for you to go, ah, oh, we just read a story about a ruler, about a chief. And it's not just they share something in common in terms of their title they actually share a similar story as well. Luke 18 says this. Let's read the story together. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a pretty good question. Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. 
No one is good except God alone. Then Jesus says, you know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not get, give false witness. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come, follow me. When the rich young ruler heard this, he became very sad. Because he was very wealthy. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked Jesus, who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Zacchaeus' name it means innocent or pure. In fact, Zacchaeus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name, Zacchae. It's ironic because in Hebrew, Zacchae, that name means the righteous one. But in the story in chapter 19, he's described as what? A sinner. He's described opposite of his name. He's not just a sinner, he's a tax collector, which is even worse, and the chief tax collector. And what's interesting, ironic as well, remember there's lots of irony in this story, is that the rich young ruler, the way he's described, or at least the way he describes himself, he describes himself as a righteous person. Do you see how these two are put up next to each other? You have Zacchaeus, who means righteous person, and is clearly not righteous. And you have the rich young ruler, who self-describes himself as righteous. So in this story, he asks, what must I do to eternal eternal life? It's a righteous question. Maybe you've asked that question. And Jesus responds, come on, you know the commands. Start naming them. Should not commit adultery. Should not murder. Don't steal. Don't, don't lie, give false testimony, and honor your father and mother. And then I think with all sincerity, he says this. I don't take him to be one that is trying to lift himself up, but I do think he's sincere. And he says, I have kept all these since I was a boy. He is a righteous person. But then Jesus says this. You still lack one thing. Go sell all your possessions and give them to the poor, and then come follow me. And he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. And it seems so radical that Jesus asked this. Everyone around him said this, oh my goodness, who in the world can be saved? You're asking this? This is what salvation looks like? And Jesus doesn't say, no, 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 that's not what salvation looks like. He says, actually, yeah. 
This is what salvation looks like. But what's impossible with people is absolutely possible with God. We've heard that before. If you remember way back to the beginning of Luke's gospel, Mary asked the same question. How can this be possible? And the angel responds, all things are possible with God. So then you come to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, he did what the rich young ruler couldn't do. And guess what Jesus says? Salvation has come to this house today. He joyfully welcomes Jesus who has sought out Zacchaeus. And in response to Jesus' offer to go to his home, Zacchaeus stops and publicly proclaims that he will give away half his possessions to the poor and give fourfold to whomever he cheated. This is what what it looks like. He actually repents. He changes, which is what that word means, to repent. It's the word in Greek, metanoia. It literally means to be going in one direction and to turn around and go in a different direction. This is what repentance looks like. And he changes. And what's interesting is that the law only requires him to repay 20%. If you look in Leviticus. But Zacchaeus repays fourfold to the people he has cheated. Fourfold. And it doesn't give the sense that he just gives half, half of his wealth at one time. It gives this ongoing sense, the text does that this is going to be a new way of life for him. Now, remember, what's different is that the rich young ruler is asked to give away all his wealth. Zacchaeus doesn't give away all his wealth. He only gives away half his wealth. But if you give away half your wealth, if you give away half a bundle, you still got a bundle left. He gives away half his wealth. And the implication is, is that not, he's just doing this as a one-time offer. This is a new way. He's going to repay four times what he's cheated people. That's what he's going to do at once. And then his new way of life is half of what he gets, he gives away. This is what salvation looks like. Salvation looks like living according to a different economy. The one who can share his possessions generously can welcome Jesus gladly. In other words, Jesus comes and seeks him out, and he says, we're going to your house today. And he says, come on. And then he realized, here's what that means. Jesus has already sought him out. Jesus has already accepted him. He has been hospitable by inviting Jesus to his house, and then he realizes when you're in the presence of Jesus, everything has to change. And it's not just everything. We're talking specifically to this text. Your economics have to change. Jesus comes to save the lost. And Zacchaeus, 
He is one that is lost. And Jesus says, salvation has come to your house today. After he proclaims, he's giving away half his possessions. The popular use of the phrase, save the lost, has been, has been is much more narrow in the Gospel of Luke. One hears it almost exclusively in terms of a conversion, and often even more restricted sense of a, uh, a preserving of soul, one's souls for heaven. That's, when I read that, that's the first thing that comes to my mind about what it means to be saved. But here in the case of Zacchaeus, being saved refers to a conversion to be sure, but not in a private sense. This is not just a private conversion. Not only is his household involved, but also the poor who will be the beneficiaries of his conversion as well as all those people that he's defrauded. You see how salvation affects more than just him? It's more than just about his soul. When he is saved, it affects his neighbors, the poor, those he's defrauded, his community. His salvation, therefore, is personal, it's domestic, it's social, and it has economic di dimensions for sure. In addition, we should not forget that in other stories, saved, the word saved, can also be translated to be made well to be made whole, to be healed. And the whole life is affected by Jesus' ministry, a foretaste of the complete reign of God. And so Zacchaeus, this story is about his wealth. This story is about salvation, and you cannot separate that from Zacchaeus' wealth. You cannot separate salvation in this story from Zacchaeus' economic life being transformed. He gives it half, half a bit away. It's not easy talking about wealth. Someone, several commentators, I know this sounds funny, but several commentators have said this, that in America... It's, it's easier and more appropriate in public to talk about one's sex life than one's bank account. Now, you may not do that, but I'm sure you don't really share your bank account with someone. I mean, think about if I walked up to you and I introduced myself, and my next question was like, how much money do you make, Turk? I get this awkward laughter because it would be culturally not very appropriate for me to say that. Right? We don't talk about our wealth. And everyone in here is in a different economic situation and circumstance. I realize that. But let me, let me say this. Some research, some researchers have said that in order to be in the top 1% of the wealthiest people in America, you need to make roughly $421,000 a year to be in the top 1% in America. That's a lot of money. But they also say, in order to be in the top 1% of the wealthiest people in the world, all you need to make annually is $32,400. If you make a yearly income of $32,400, you are in, according to this research, the top 1% of the most wealthy people in the world. Now, let's don't stick with who's the wealthiest in America. Let's talk about the globe. 
because that's what Luke's interested. He's interested in all people. And even if you don't make $32,000 a year, if you have some kind of income in America, it is pretty safe to say that each and every one of us in this room are in the top 10% of the most wealthy people in the world. It's just true. Now, let me say this. Giving you that statistic is not about guilt. I know this is easier said than done, but if you're feeling guilty or like pressure from me, stop it. This is not about guilt. This is about health. Just like my, my new eating habits are about health. Because Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. There's a story where Shane Claiborne who wrote a book called, several books, but he wrote one called Irresistible Revolution. In that book, he went to Calcutta to work with Mother Teresa in India, and he met a German guy who was a very successful businessman living and doing a lot of work with Mother Teresa. And he got to know this guy, and he started asking him questions, and he said, why are you here? And the guy said this. He said, you know, I was a very successful business person. I made lots of money in Germany. And then one day I started reading the gospel and I read about salvation and I wanted to know what that felt like. And he said, I kept reading and I came across the story of the rich young ruler and it perked my ears because I was pretty powerful and I had lots of money too. And he says, I read that story and Jesus says, you lack one thing, sell all your possessions, give them to the poor and come follow me. And so he said, I wanted to experience what salvation was like, so I sold everything I had, and I gave it away, and I moved, and the only person I knew that was working with the poor was Mother Teresa, so I came and moved to India. And he says, it screwed up my life, but I was saved. You don't have to move, you don't have to give it all away and move to India. You don't have to. This is not about giving it all away and moving to India. Because Zacchaeus doesn't give it all away. And Jesus, it appears in the story, he stays put where he is. But his regular practice is that he starts giving it away. This is what salvation looks like. And so here's what salvation might look like for us today. We have people in this congregation who have needs. Ever since I've been here, a little over, probably about a little over three years, three and a half years, I think, there hasn't been any time since I've been here where I haven't known at least one person or one family that didn't have a job, that were laid off and were looking for work. And let me say this, it doesn't matter how long you plan or how good, how well you plan, Eventually, the money, the bank account's going to run out. We don't even have to go to India to find people that are in need. And you can ask Manima or Ryan, 
who have been working with our benevolence for a long time, you know the amount of calls that churches get looking for benevolence? There's probably more calls than our benevolence budget could ever meet. I sit on the missions committee. We just had a meeting on Tuesday night. There's so many good things to be a part of. I don't know if we've seen a bad request yet. There are so many needs. There's more need and good need than we have money in our account to give away. And at this church, there's more ministry to be done than we have budget for. For sure, we've been talking about here our budget and meeting our budget, and that's always a struggle of the church. I promise you, this is not a sermon trying to get our budget up to date. This is a sermon about what it looks like to be saved. This is a sermon, this is a text about what it looks like to be healed. Don't feel guilty, but be healed. Salvation looks like living according to a different economy. The one who can possess the one who can share their possessions generously can welcome Jesus generously. To be saved means to be healed. And a healthy economic life or a saved economic life looks like regularly giving portions of your wealth. That is what salvation believe but believing my doctor does not make me healthy believing that eating fruits and vegetables does not make me healthy it actually takes me obeying and eating well will you come and be healed today and next week when you forget this sermon will you be healed and the week after that when you forget again will you be healed and when you see your neighbor in need, will you be healed? And when the benevolence comes calling and calling, will you be healed? And when we hear about more mission that we could do, can you give and be healed? And when you see all the ministry that can be done at this church, can you just give and be healed? For Jesus came.